program. We're going to chat today with our uh, political guru on the program, Eric Davis, retired professor from Middlebury College, will be joining us. We're going to get an analysis from him of uh, what he thinks about uh, Bernie Sanders running for president of the United States. Uh, we're also going to be taking your phone calls at the program. Love to hear from you at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And our toll-free number is 877-291-8255. Coming up tomorrow on the program, I'll be down at the State House. Should be the second-to-last program, or second-to-last Friday down at the State House. I might scoot down there next week as well on a, uh, another day other than Friday. Uh, coming up on the uh, program tomorrow, we'll have a uh, another great lineup of uh, folks joining us, uh, those in leadership positions as we really get down to the last week or um, hopefully so. Uh, the anticipation being that they will adjourn either a week from tomorrow or a week from Saturday. That's the game plan. May spill a couple of days into the next week. Our numbers on the program are 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And you can also reach us on our toll-free lines at 877-291-8255. As you might be able to gather, uh, if you ever listen to the program on even a quasi-regular basis, I'm a fan of books. I'm a fan of reading. I think, uh, frankly, we all spend too much time, and I, I will plead guilty to this, too. You know, uh, consuming too much media that's probably a real waste of time. Uh, So we're going to chat this morning a little bit about books. We're going to talk about book clubs, which may be a part of your life. Um, And uh, let's give a nice summary ready for my welcome this morning to Michael Haney. Michael is a Vietnam uh, vet who has put together and has been facilitating some book groups that have uh, been designed for uh, for vets, and he's kind enough to join us. This program's going to be expanding, and we're going to tell you all about it. Michael, thank you for joining us. How are you this morning? I'm fine, thanks, Mark. Tell Glad me, to be here. Tell me about your service in Vietnam. Uh, I served in 1965 and 1966, which was early in the uh, active part of the war, and I was an infantry platoon leader uh, with the uh, 1st Cavalry Division. Uh, I lasted about five months before getting wounded and uh, uh, was shipped home. But during those five months, we did uh, what was pretty much standard uh, infantry uh, operating for that um, time and for the part of the country we were in, the Central Highlands, uh, so-called search-and-destroy operations. Mm. How seriously were you injured? Um, Fairly seriously. Seriously, I, I uh, was hit with a piece of mortar shrapnel that went through my right calf, and uh, my biggest uh, battlefield uh, danger was uh, bleeding out and dying from that. The wound itself was not a lethal wound, uh, but uh, this happened at the end of a, uh, a 20-hour-long siege of my company. Uh, my platoon and my company were pinned down, ambushed and then pinned down for about 20 hours. And so by the end of that, when we got hit with mortars, um, we had no medics left, uh, no morphine left, and no compresses left. Uh, So uh, my biggest challenge was uh, stopping the bleeding in my leg. Uh, And then after that, I got uh, medevaced out and and, uh, shipped home, ultimately. How did you stop the bleeding? I uh, I was on the perimeter. Uh, it, it, we were engaged in a firefight. It turned out to be the uh, last firefight of the 20-hour episode. Uh, when I got hit, I, I crawled into the middle of the perimeter and found somebody in the headquarters group, company headquarters group, that still had a, a compress, a thick bandage, and uh, persuaded him to... Uh, uh, cut my uh, my fatigue pants uh, open and put it on, uh, which he did, and that that stopped the bleeding. Probably saved my life. What's it like being pinned down for twenty hours? Wow! <laughs> it's not like you sleep. Uh, we didn't sleep at all. Uh, we didn't eat. Um, it was the most uh, terrifying um, and memorable experience of my life to this day, and it was. Uh, you know, very uh, tragic. We lost a lot of people. Uh, I lost uh, 10 men killed from my platoon. Um, that day, I only had about 26 men in my platoon. We were always a little under strength. The company lost another 10 men killed, the rest of the company. Um, 
I was also very proud of the way uh, my men uh, responded to this desperate situation. They all did their jobs. Uh, they all did what was asked of them. And, uh, uh, and, and because of that, and because of the cool-headedness of our, of our company commander, uh, who was a, a Korean vet, actually, uh, we survived. But it was, a, as Wellington said, a, a closely run thing from beginning to end. How, um, it sounds like you've had some post-traumatic stress? Well, probably. You know, I, I was never um, uh, diagnosed with it. Uh, I never sought to be diagnosed with it, but I, I've had some other long-term uh, complications from the wound. And just assessing myself, I've done a lot of work with veterans who have been diagnosed with PTSD in the Veterans Administration system. Yeah. So I, I pretty much know what it looks like. Uh, it takes a variety of forms, and and I certainly mu figure I suffer from from some of it, but not as bad as as a lot of other guys. Um, so I want to make that clear. I I, I was one of the uh, lucky ones. Um, I, I got out alive, more or less intact. Mm -hmm. Why have you spent so much time after you came back working with vets? Another good question. I think the 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 best way to answer that is to say because it it keeps me well, um, it, it keeps me healthy, um, it keeps me uh, out of feeling sorry for myself. I I stay healthy by reaching out to others who've had similar experiences and who um, are are doing worse than I am, and uh, th that's not rocket science. I think most people. It, it's sort of human nature, you know, help somebody else and, and you get helped in the process. Well, and you, it's hard to feel sorry for yourself when you're helping other people, too. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you were an American history professor. Where? Yes, well, I came to uh, teaching uh, late in my career life for the first uh, 25 years or so. Uh, I was a practicing lawyer in New Jersey, uh, which I don't admit to everyone, but I'll uh -huh. tell you uh -huh. <laughs> and your listeners. And then I got tired of doing that. I went back to school and got a degree in history, and I started teaching. And now, now I'm in my 50s, so uh, all I uh, all I did was uh, as an adjunct professor at various schools. I taught mostly at Rutgers University, where I got my Ph.D., and I was living in New Jersey at that time. And then later on, my family and I moved to Connecticut, and I was lucky enough to get a adjunct job at Trinity College in Hartford. It's my and, uh, it's... I taught there for about uh, six years uh, when, as an adjunct. When did you teach there? Because that's my alma mater. Oh, great. Um, I started in 2001, and I taught until about 2006. Okay. Well, you, I missed you by, uh, like, a few decades. So. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, a uh, great school. I really enjoyed my time there. In fact, I'm going back next uh, uh, spring, the, the spring uh, semester of 2016, to teach a course in the history department on the Vietnam War. So uh, I still have some ties, uh, obviously, with the with the college. Down huh. there. That's interesting. Is there a lot? Of, I mean, is there a lot of interest at the college level? Um, when I was teaching, and this was only uh, let's say 10 years or so ago, there was a great deal of interest. Um, of course, the, uh, the the wars we're fighting now were, were hadn't started yet, or, or were new and weren't part of history yet. Um, but Vietnam was, and um, there was a great deal of interest uh, among students in that whole period. You know, the '60s and the '70s. It was such a tumultuous time. It, not only the war, but many other social upheavals and things changing. Uh, what I had to get used to was the fact that. Um, uh, the students I was teaching weren't born uh, when yeah. the Vietnam War occurred. Right. This was ancient history to them. Like I used to look at World War One yeah. veterans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, or, so, civil, but, or the Civil War, even. Or, or even the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was an old guy now, telling, yeah. telling war stories. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was very satisfying, and uh, I think students really enjoyed hearing it. And, and they... I did tell some more stories sometimes, which maybe teachers aren't supposed to do as part of their classes, but uh, I felt uh, to illustrate some of the historical notions uh, that I was trying to impart and to make uh, the experience more real to them, I, I did frankly uh, share some, some of what had happened to me. 
Well, I mean, come on, Michael. I mean, seriously, you're you're a professor teaching a course and you're a Vietnam vet. I mean, I would I would I would have demanded that you <laughs> tell well, some of their the stories. Well, the students are very patient and respectful, and they always seem to like uh, hearing some of those stories. Um, but I tried not to make that the central uh, point of the course. But, um, yeah, and, and I was, uh, because I still had a, a network of friends from the military or in the post-war therapeutic community, uh, I could get guest speakers to come in and address the class, and that was very helpful uh, and useful, I think, to students. Mm-hmm. Anybody famous that we would know? Well, uh, yes. Um, I was lucky enough one semester to get Phil Caputo in, oh, yeah. who uh, wrote uh, uh, Rumor of War. Yeah. It was a bestseller in, uh, early on. He was a Vietnam veteran, a Marine veteran, who had a very tough time. And he came in and talked about his book, uh, his memoir, uh, very effectively. An- another time I had another author named Susan O'Neill, who wrote a book called Don't Mean Nothing, about her experience as a nurse in um, hmm. in Vietnam, and I had also a, uh, a guy named Bob Rowe who died a couple years ago, who was a colonel and was in charge of all special forces units in Vietnam for uh, a while back in the '60s, and uh, he was good enough. He was a personal friend. And he he was good enough to come and address the class about what special forces people did in the Vietnam War. So. Hmm. So that uh, that helped me enrich the the class, you know, by getting other other voices. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, we just had Phil Caputo on the program about three weeks ago. He was really. Yeah. He, do you uh, ever go down to the Colby Military Writers Symposium? No, I've never. I've heard of it, but I've never been to uh, that. And uh, you would love it. I mean, if you love books and and you're interested in, you know, the, obviously you're interested in. In uh, you know war com and war yeah. combat stuff. I mean, you'd be in heaven. It's 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 yes, really great. Yes, I, I I should I should do that. I'm I'm working on uh, my, uh, a memoir, my own memoir of of uh, combat memoir of those days, and hope to finish that up in the next year or two. Uh, so well, you know, so. then I'll wind up interviewing you down at the Colby. <laughs> I, I would nothing would please me more. <laughs> well, I'd, and I'd probably be asking you some of the same you know silly questions I'm asking you this morning. Well, they're not silly at all, and I and I appreciate uh, your your and others' interest uh, in them, and I think I think we all need to be interested in in war and, and soldiers because we're we're still at it. We're talking with Michael Haney. Uh, we're going to talk in a moment here about the book groups he's been putting together and has been working on with veteran groups. If you have any comments or questions, we welcome your calls. You know you can join us at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. Toll free, you can reach us at 877-291-8255. Can you tell me about these wilderness expedition courses that you were uh, leading? Yes, Mark. Um in the middle of the 1980s, um, a fellow at Outward Bound, in fact, it, it, it was Bob Rowe, a guy I mentioned a moment ago who had been a Special Forces colonel in the war. Uh, he worked for Outward Bound, and he felt that the pretty much standard Outward Bound format for leading wilderness uh, expeditions would work and be useful to uh, Vietnam veterans diagnosed with PTSD. Um, And so he and the VA jointly uh, put together a program that started in, I think, about 1984, um, taking veterans uh, right out of a VA hospital, an inpatient situation, uh, where they were being treated for PTSD, and taking them out on a... uh, abbreviated outward bound course that lasted about uh, five or six days and these courses are run in primarily in maine and new hampshire mm-hmm. um and we did everything uh, he, he involved me later on i got involved in 1985 and and worked with bob for the next 15 years um organizing and leading these courses um for for vets and uh, for vietnam vets in particular and they they really we felt they really worked well, uh, not as a substitute for the kinds of therapy and treatment and help they were getting in the VA system, but as a a complement to that. Hmm. And because uh, the 
you know, we ask these guys to to get off their butts, um, load up their packs, and uh, do some physically demanding and some emotionally demanding things together as a small group. And um, and they really did. It really worked well for for most veterans. Um, and it, we and we had a long run at it. Um, for the the program lasted as I, as I mentioned for about fifteen or sixteen years. That's fascinating. I wonder what it is that that really worked about that. I mean, post combat. That's interesting. Yes, and some people would uh, say, "Well, are you kidding me? You're taking yeah. these guys who've yeah. been traumatized by walking around in the jungle and getting shot at and seeing bad things, and now you're proposing to take them out in the woods." Um, and sort of recreate uh, a lot of the same atmosphere. And uh, Bob, who who was the uh, genius behind this program, uh, would say that's partly true, but we also, you know, a lot of good things happened um, with these men when they were young and asked to do difficult things. They stepped up to the plate, uh, drew from a place very deep inside themselves, and did hard things, and supported one another, and loved one another. And um, to Bob, that was uh, that was what being uh, a hero is all about. It wasn't, you know, charging the bunker. It was just doing your job in in very dicey circumstances. And so Bob's idea was let's put these guys back in touch with with how strong they were, how well they performed, and what they accomplished, and also hmm. how much fun it is to be out in the woods when you're not getting shot at. Let's replace yeah. A, yeah. a crappy experience with a good one. Yeah. And that, it seemed to work. Well, and the yeah. VA felt it worked, and or they wouldn't have kept the program going for so long with us. Yep, yep, that's a proven concept, that whole idea of replacing... Something that was a bad situation with a good one. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it didn't work for everybody. And uh, maybe nothing would have worked for, for some people, but it worked. I saw a lot of transformation myself in guys, and it, it, it helped me. It helped all of us who were lucky enough to lead some of those courses. You know, I was just, when, when I got out in the field with, with these men, I was just one of the guys, and they were... Uh, all mature, uh, had had a military experience in their background, so they knew kind of how to um, make do in, in the woods. And yeah. uh, so they were different. It was it was a different kind of course than some other outward bound courses um, where you had to announce at the end of the day, okay, you, you students, now you've got to make your own uh, meal. We, we're not, we instructors are not going to do this for you. We're not going to pitch your tents and take them down uh, <laughs> tomorrow morning. Right. With vets, you don't have to tell them that. They knew how to do all that stuff, and they pitched in and did it. Let me take a call from Cabot. Tony, good morning. You're on the air with Michael Haney. Good morning. Michael, welcome home. How are you doing? Thank you. The, um, what you've just been talking about, about the almost, uh, well, certainly it is therapeutic, but the almost uh, self-driving uh, uh, nature of, of that kind of thing, I, I think is what explains part of the success of the other, some of the other programs like Wounded Warrior programs or the, or the uh, Healing Waters Fly Fishing program that I volunteer with. Those guys are, you know, they're in the process of doing something else, but they're outdoors and they're helping each other. And I, I can't explain what it is, can't put my finger on it, but I can I can see it happening. It's a, it's a great thing. Yeah, I, th I think that's a, a good and, and accurate comment. And um, I, I think it's just part of the way we operate as, as human beings. We we want to be helpful. We want to be in groups uh, and be supportive. And that certainly happens uh, when you when you give a group a, sort of a common task or objective. Today we're going to climb this hill. And uh, that can be a metaphor for a lot of other things that are going on in their lives. Uh, we all have big challenges. And uh, to get to the top of the hill, you can't, can't do it all at once. You've got to take one step at a time, and you have to maybe get some help. Somebody might have to carry your pack for a while. You might volunteer to carry somebody else's pack for a while. If you, and, and that's just like the rest.
rest of life. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about the project. I think Mark said we're going to be talking about that soon. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Thanks. Thanks for, in, for Great. Uh, all the information. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate your call. Um, thanks for the uh, the cue, too. Let, let's talk a little bit about the, the book clubs, um, the ones you've already put together and the ones that you're putting that going to be putting together. Sure. Um, now, I, I don't want to take uh, major credit for this. This, this idea was um, formulated uh, as sort of a joint venture of the National Endowment for the Humanities, which is a, a national organization, uh, and various uh, states' uh, humanities council. And the one I'm involved with is the Vermont Humanities Council. And so the key word here is humanities, and <laughs> to me that just means the, the, having an interest in what makes us human and hearing about uh, human stories. And so uh, these two agencies uh, felt that it, it might be a really good thing uh, to organize kind of standard uh, book reading clubs uh, like, like a lot of people have. Um, but uh, this one would, these would consist of, of just of veterans, and in the first one we did, uh, we, we limited that to veterans who have been in a combat zone, not necessarily a combat position, but been in a theater where uh, warfare is, is being conducted, and they're at, you know, more risk than, than, uh, than one normally is. Um, and uh, and to deal with books uh, that uh, deal with war, that war literature. Mm -hmm. Those those are the two main parameters: veterans and war literature. And the first, uh, this is a pilot program that's just started this year in in several states, um, and it's it'll be evaluated after we've run it for a while, and and uh, decisions will be made whether it should continue, but. So it's brand new, and uh, the first, and I was uh, asked to be a facilitator for one of the first of these, and the, uh, that one uh, was started a, a few months ago at the uh, White River Junction, Vermont, uh, VA, and uh, we have about uh, 12 veterans, mostly Vietnam veterans, a couple uh, veterans of more recent wars, uh, the Global War on Terror, as it's called generically. Um, and we've met once a month. Uh, we'll, we'll have our last session uh, this month. Um, and we've talked about four uh, full books, uh, which uh, all, all the vets have been asked to read. Uh, and also I've um, sprinkled in some shorter texts, some poems, some uh, sections from other uh, pieces of war literature, even some artwork. Uh, for instance, uh, one one uh, piece of artwork we looked at is the so-called Thousand Yard Stare, which was a painting uh, from a World War II Pacific Island situation of a GI with that hollowed-out mm. look in his eyes. And uh, but but mainly the the, the club the, the groups uh, are about reading war literature, and um, uh, we we've for this. First one, uh, going at the White River Junction uh, facility, we've read uh, Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried, of course, it's about the Vietnam War. We then read uh, Anthony Swafford's book, Jarhead, which was about mm -hmm. the uh, what I call the first Gulf War, uh, Desert Shield. Um, then we read uh, Phil Cly's um, uh, Redeployment, uh, which was a book coming out of... Um, Clyde's experience in the current Iraq, well, the recently concluded, in quotes, uh, war in Iraq. And then we will be, our, our fourth book, which we'll be tackling later this month, is just called War, excuse me, by Sebastian Younger, who's a well-known oh, yeah. uh, writer and, and war correspondent. He wrote The, the Perfect, Perfect Storm. Storm. Yeah, one of the all-time great books. Yeah. So those are the those are the, and and we just uh, get together um, as any book club would and talk about the books and we've got a really fortunate range of uh, veterans in, in this White River Junction group uh, 
differences of variety in military backgrounds, uh, rank, educational levels, life experience, um, uh, differences in uh, the way these books have appealed uh, to them. Um, one guy really uh, hated Tim O'Brien's book, mm. which was a first for me. I think it's such a great book that I was kind of shocked, but he articulated uh, his views, and 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 we and it and we had an animated discussion as a result. But the point of the program is just to get vets together to share uh, their views on war literature, and then to share some of their stories if they want to. Mm -hmm. about being in the military. And um, so I, I have to say, you know, we all, now that we're almost finished with this first one, it's worked really well. And um, I've gotten uh, to meet some new friends uh, and hear a lot of uh, perspectives and views about uh, about these wars and about warfare in general. Uh, so it's So it's been fun. And I've been, I, in fact, one of the um, one of the vets about halfway through the course took me aside and said, now, "Michael, you've got to stop being the professor here. This is not a class. <laughs> You're not yeah. teaching us. Yeah. This is a book club. We're discussing books." And I said, "You're absolutely right. I'm, yeah. I'm I easily slip into my uh, professor role, and that's not what this is about." Yeah. And, and so we made a little course correction and. Um, and, and now everybody's contributing a little more easily, I think. Well, that was good you got that feedback, that somebody felt comfortable to tell you that, because that, that's helpful. That was, sounds like it was helpful to you. It was very helpful. It was very helpful. So, And as I say, these, this is a new program, so we're kind of learning how to do it and, and learning what adjustments we may want to make to the books and the other uh, pieces of artwork or literature that we assign. The second program is going to be uh, starting soon at um, at Norwich University. Uh, let's see, it starts on yeah next Tuesday, May 12, uh, and that's being co-led by an English professor there, Lee w Lee Williams, uh, a woman, and um, Paul Brody, who's a counselor. And I, I met with them last week, and they're ready to go. They've got a different syllabus, and they'll probably do their uh, book group uh, a little differently, and then later on we'll compare notes. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third, uh, uh, each state that's involved in these in this pilot program is supposed to try three different groups, and the third group is also one I'll be leading uh, with the help of um, a VA uh, counselor, and that'll be uh, in South Burlington at the Vet Center, and that's starting um, on June 15. I'm sorry, on June 1. June 1. Okay. Uh, so, so that's where we are now. And as I said, there are about 15 other states across the country who are doing the same thing right now. So the one, for example, in South Burlington, is that how long does it last? Um, they all have a five-session format, um, although uh, the next two, the one at Norwich and the one at um, South Burlington, are going to be um, every other week. Uh, the one uh, I've been doing at uh, uh, White River Junction, we, we've met once a month, and we decided that we, we need to meet a little more frequently uh, so that uh, guys can keep up with each other and remember names and remember backgrounds and that kind of thing. So we're, right, yeah. Uh, Not so, reintroducing yourself every couple Exactly, weeks. exactly. Yeah. So... Um, name name tags. That I'm getting old, and yeah. I, I forget names easily. But anyway, we're gonna uh, we're gonna compress the the timing on the on the next two a little mm -hmm. bit. And don't worry, you know, if every every book club has one knucklehead in it that doesn't <laughs> like even the best of books. You know, there's probably even somebody out there that I don't know doesn't even like the Perfect Storm. Well, yes, and 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 you know, as a as someone who has taught, uh, that that should have been um, obvious to me. You know, everybody reacts a little differently, even to the literature that's regarded as some of the best and t most timeless. Um, and it's always good to have somebody who takes even an extreme view because it provokes discussion. Yeah. Uh, 
And so my job really isn't to direct where the discussion is going, but to make sure everybody gets a chance to speak and feels comfortable speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so that's uh, that's what we've done. And in these groups, it's interesting. It's not like a college class because you get uh, we have vets who don't have a college education who have never been uh, maybe a member of uh, a book club, and some of them aren't used to sitting around talking about literature. That's okay for college kids, uh, but some of these veterans have had to learn to be comfortable doing that. And right, they, right. it's not a matter of brains. I mean, everybody's smart. Um, education doesn't make you smart. Um, I, I, I know from long uh, uh, effort, <laughs> but um, so, so one of the challenges uh, I've had as a facilitator is to make sure we hear from everybody, and that if, if somebody has something they want to say, they get to say it. And everybody is respectful of, of uh, others' views. And, and I've had no problem with that. Everybody is respectful. And you've got to admit to me that there have been one or two of these guys who have thought that book clubs are, you know, for, for women drinking white wine. It, that's exactly right. Um, that is a sort of a starting uh, perception uh, um, among among people, and maybe even among me, uh, for me, you know, my 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 dear wife is in a book club here, and and she admits sometimes it just kind of bogs down and becomes a well. Let's what's the latest God? What's happening in the community in the neighborhood? Yeah. And that's not what we wanted to do. Uh, so maybe I had a little bit of that prejudice um, or that filter as well. But at this point. In the in the one book club that we're doing uh, already, um, the group has really evolved um, rapidly, and the the questions are are better, um, they're more incisive, and and the commentary is is more um, perceptive, and, and I'm just really thrilled uh, to be able to spend this time with with these men and um, and have that experience. How do you sign up? Um, you, there are uh, different people you can contact. Uh, the overall coordinator of the Vermont program, which covers all of these book groups, is Amy Cunningham, uh, who works at the uh, Vermont Humanities Council in Montpelier. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I can give you her number. Or is that okay? She yeah, said it's sure. fine with yeah. her. She, uh, her number is 802-262-1356. Uh, or she can be reached at a Cunningham at uh, VermontHumanities.org. Um, and um, the uh, or people can contact me about the South Burlington um, group that's coming up um, or uh, contact uh, Norwich um, uh, uh, University about the one that's starting there uh, next Tuesday. Okay. How would they contact you? Uh, probably the best way would be uh, by phone, uh, 802-436-2841. And uh, that's my home phone. I'd be glad to uh, uh, provide information on any of these groups to anybody who's interested. Okay. And I'll give those numbers out again if you don't Great. have a, a piece of paper and a pencil really handy. Great. Thank so, Michael, you. here's the last question I wanted to ask you. Yep. I know that you got interviewed by the uh, the infamous Ken Burns for his documentary <laughs> yes. about Vietnam. What What do you think the best point you made to him was? Wow. Um, first of all, I, I, uh, let me say I, I felt so blessed and, and lucky to have had that opportunity. And um, this... Burns's uh, documentary on Vietnam is probably not going to come out till 2017. That's their latest estimate. And I, I uh, was lucky enough to screen, to, to participate in a movie screening of their present draft last month. And it's going to be, uh, at least if it sticks to the present draft, uh, a 10 episode uh, series. And uh, I think it's really going to be a blockbuster. But the, to answer your question, um, he asked me about, I, I went back to Vietnam in 2008 and through a series of lucky breaks, um, managed to join up with a, um, 
or get in touch with a Vietnamese veterans organization in one of the provinces I operated in during the war. Mm. And um, they, they, I was a little unsure of how they would uh, react to me, you know, this American GI complete stranger wanting to get in touch with them, wanting to sit down with them, talk about shared memories of the war. Um, and there was a little, when we did finally get together, there was a little bit of, you know, kind of eyeballing the other, what's this person about, what mm-hmm. you really want. Yep. And then uh, seamlessly, they, they once they sort of got it, that I was there just to revisit old places and say goodbye to the men I lost and visit the site of the ambush. That's what I wanted to do most so I could say goodbye to these guys, which I'd never had a chance to do. They became like older brothers. Uh, they took me under their wing like like one of them and, uh, and uh, provided transportation and got permission for me to go out into this remote area and told me they completely understood why I wanted to go there and they would help me do it. And they did. And I told that part of the story, uh, my, my story, to Burns. And he, uh, I, I'm not supposed to talk about the movie, but um, uh, some of what I, my reaction uh, and my experience in going back uh, is, is in the draft. And, and I think that's, to me, the most um, satisfying uh, thing uh, I, I've been able to say to a larger audience. These people are like us, and I'm like them. And that's probably always been true uh, in war. And we need to figure that out before we go to war. Uh, and I don't know how to do that. It's a very old question, <laughs> but I'm working on it. Mm. So I feel lucky to have had the chance to say such things uh, to a larger audience, and, and I, I feel lucky to have uh, to be able to uh, talk to you today and oh, I was say about, such things. I was just about to say the same thing to you. So. Well, thanks. Maybe we ought to leave on that note. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for your time this morning. I'll give out those phone numbers again for people to sign up for these programs and um, and. Happy reading and and uh, good luck. Oh, here's one suggestion: if you're ever looking for a photograph mm-hmm. to uh, prompt discussion, uh, I was in Washington D.C. with my family after Christmas and went to this place. Have you been to the museum? Yes, I, I was there a couple years ago. Well, they had an exhibit of photographs. I don't know if it was there when you were there of Pulitzer Prize winning oh, photographs. Yes. yes, I remember that. Was was that there when you were there? Yes, it was. Okay. Do you remember the photograph of the last POW that came home, and he's crossing the tarmac, and his daughter is running towards yes, him? Yes, I do. With his wife. That's a and, wonderful picture. Oh, I, my and, God. And uh, thank you for mentioning it. I hadn't thought of it in terms of this book uh, group, but that would be a, a wonderful picture to talk about. Oh, I mean, I, yeah. I get chills just even describing it. It's yeah, just absolutely. so powerful. Um, thank you, my friend. I appreciate your time this morning. Good, good luck. Well, thank you very much, Mark. It was a pleasure. Michael Haney has uh, been facilitating some book groups for uh, vets. And I'll, let me just give you these phone numbers again here. If you uh, want to reach Amy Cunningham, a uh, nice woman, used to work at the Historical Society, now working with the Humanities Council, 262-1356, 262-1356. Michael's number is 436 436- 2841 4362841 coming up in about uh 15 20 minutes here we're going to talk with political science professor Eric Davis we'll talk about uh, uh Senator Bernie Sanders bid for running for president let me take a moment of your time to remind you about our friends at Jet Service Envelope if you're looking for an outstanding local printer make it our friends at the Jet and they're uh, easy to do business with because in this day and age all you have to do is get your project done and you can send it over to the folks at the JET electronically, PDF files, Word files, whatever is the easiest way for you to do that. Then they just make it happen. You can get the trifold brochure done, maybe a poster printed up. Maybe, uh, like Michael, you're working on your memoirs. You can make all of that happen. And when they publish a book at JET Service Envelope, it does not look like you're 
eighth grade project where you got the plastic binder with that, you know, that sheath thing that you put down the side. No, it'll be a little bit classier than that. Give them a call if you want to get pricing information at 229-9335, 229-9335, and on the web at jetservice-envelope.com. By the way, if you ever go to, if you ever can get to Washington, this museum is just incredible. They also have... Um, the uh, the uh, infamous shot too of the uh, young Vietnamese girl uh, after um, uh, or uh, after there was a uh, napalm dropping a very famous shot too. All right, uh, a couple of other items for you too. We had a uh, an interesting guest on the program earlier this week. We had a uh, uh, woman uh, from uh, Holland who has been working on a project here in Montpelier, uh, Maria. Uh, and she has this interesting, uh, um, I don't know what to call it, a, a statue? I guess it's sort of a, sort of a statue. Well, it's a, it's a green uposaurus. That's what it is, Mark. And it's a wire mesh uh, dinosaur that she built right in front of the Supreme Court building and right next to the pavilion uh, right in downtown Montpelier. I saw it on... Monday afternoon, and there were probably, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 bottles on it, and it sort of just started. There have been a number of uh, school kids that have, have come through, but they are in in, uh, in need of and are looking for your participation in this project because they really want to have it buttoned up uh, by the time Maria leaves town here. So uh, they are in great need of plastic bottles, which you attach to the Greenopasaurus, and they're looking for the small drink size, the 20-ounce containers, clear or green. The green ones make it look a little bit more, yeah, kind of uh, saurus-y. <laughs> There's a word. Uh, and you have to be able to touch your fingers around the middle. Okay. So you bring these to the uh, State House lawn right next to the pavilion there, and uh, they will be uh, happy to help you put it up. So it's a, it's a fun project to be involved in. I've got a photo somewhere in my phone. Maybe I'll put it up on our program or on uh, on Facebook so you can see what it looks like. 244-1777, that's our local number in central Vermont. Toll free, you can reach us at 877-291-8255. Back at the State House coming up tomorrow, and we'll be back right after these important announcements. Take the guesswork out of shopping for a used vehicle. Hi, folks. I'm Dan Keene, owner of Lamoille Valley Ford. Customers tell us the one thing that scares them most about buying a used car or truck is ending up with somebody else's problems. That's why at Lamoille Valley Ford, we specialize in Ford-certified pre-owned vehicles. You need to know a Ford-certified pre-owned vehicle is a cream-of-the-crop used car or truck that has gone through a rigorous 172-point inspection, has a clean Carfax report, and qualifies for financing as low as one. Plus, folks, get this. A Ford-certified pre-owned vehicle comes with a 7-year, 100,000-mile warranty with 24-hour roadside assistance. That's a better warranty than a brand-new vehicle for a lot less money. Now, currently at Lamoille Valley Ford, we have over 35 Ford-certified pre-owned cars and trucks available for you in all price ranges. So drive Route 14, 15, or 16 to Hardwick and Lamoille Valley Ford. Get peace of mind when you buy a used, certified, pre-owned vehicle at Lamoille Valley Ford. You've decided to set your roots down here. And well over 100 years back, we did too. We're Union Bank. As a local community bank, we know all the back roads, the realtors, and how to get things done locally. That means we can make your mortgage easy. Because, after all, nobody really does mortgages for fun. Well, except for maybe us. And when you call Union Bank, you get a real person with real answers to your mortgage questions. Now, how about that? Full service, local banking, with people who live where you live. So whether it's your first home or your second, we'll provide you with nimble, local expertise, competitive rates, and a variety of mortgage options that help turn the imagined into the realized. At Union Bank, we know you want to go far in life. Banking local can get you there faster. Union Bank. Stay local. Go far. Visit us at your local branch or go to ublocal.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. You know, darling, there are so many wonderful things about the month of May. That's true, Madonna. And all month, One Stop Country Pet Supply is celebrating a few of them. Mother's Day, Memorial Day, the opening of our outdoor ponds with a month of great deals. They got these deals on all my favorite outdoor toys. 
like Chuckwitz and all other canine hardware. That's good, because it can get a little rough for me and the boys to play in backyard keep away. And if you're looking for a neat Mother's Day gift, check out the really cool new beta tunnels. Of course, maintaining a good fish pond is lots of work, but One Stop Country Pet Supply has lots of beautiful fish to stock your pond, like imported Japanese koi fish, pond comets, shibukin, and sarasa. Celebrate the month of May at One Stop Country Pet Supply in the Twin City Plaza, Berlin, Vermont. Closed Memorial Day. Eighty-four thousand square feet, one hundred million dollars, up and running in eighteen months, and starting now. In the May Vermont Business Magazine, read about a biomedical research company's big plans for the Northeast Kingdom, plus the complete guide to the upcoming Vermont Business and Industry Expo, the largest show of its kind in Northern New England. Also in the May Vermont Business, our new success stories feature. Read how the Vermont Small Business Development Center is helping brew new business, and you'll find the Wyndham County Economic Report with a skilled but aging workforce the shutdown of vermont yankee and post irene work still to be done read how wyndham county is changing adapting and planning for the future plus don't miss our special feature our voices are powerful as mary powell shares her breast cancer journey all this and more is in the may vermont business magazine serious business serious news for a subscription call 802-863-8038 or go to vermontbiz.com 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. Those would be the phone numbers to call the program. We ran across a funny piece in the Huffington Post. A couple of people sent it to me, too. I appreciate that. A woman named uh, Kimberly Harrington, who uh, is described her as a creative director who hates the cold and uh, loves Vermont, wrote an interesting piece about Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, news flash in here, though, uh, we just got word here. The U.S. Appeals Court has found the government's bulk collection of phone records exceeds what it is allowed. Huh. We'll get an update from our White House crew on that story. Interesting piece. Uh, who, this uh, woman wrote a very amusing piece about um, uh, about how to talk to your kids about Bernie Sanders. And let me share with you what she had to say about this. Sometimes it can be scary and confusing for kids when they're faced with an unknown, like a politician who actually represents the regular people who voted for him. As you tuck them into bed, don't be surprised if you hear questions like, but what about the billionaires? Who's going to speak for them? Or why is he so angry all the time? Or mom, why did you hit him? We'll get to that last one in a minute. I find that the best way to address kids' valid concerns about politicians is to ease them into it. The last time we tried to explain a government shutdown to my 10-year-old, he said, wow, sounds like they don't know how to do their jobs. They should be fired. There's no telling what sort of bloodlust this whole Bernie situation could unleash in our household, and I'm betting your family is struggling with the same sense of unease. I've put together some answers to use when fielding common questions from your kids. You've probably been asking yourself some of these questions, too. So don't feel shy about talking to yourself about Bernie Sanders. We all do. It's completely natural. What does it mean when a politician doesn't lie? That's question number one. Well, this means that he or she is telling you, quote-unquote, the truth. This is the type of behavior that one might expect from, say, your teacher or a librarian. I understand it can be confusing. Trust me, it's definitely confusing to most adults. What we're used to is the sort of non-truth jargon bite, and we nod and think, thank you, politician, for the nonsense that just came out of your face hole, and we get right back to eating our burritos because that's life, man. I think you know by now that adults don't really expect the truth otherwise. Why would we ask you if you brushed your teeth and then accept your answer without making you breathe directly into our faces, quote-unquote, just to be sure? We used to, we're used to being lied to. We like it. It's soothing. So this situation is uncomfortable for us, too. Just know this, you're not alone. We'll get through truth, truth, Magedon, uh, honest apocalypse 216 together. Question number two, what is he so angry about? If your kids have only seen Bernie during Senate Budget Committee hearings, and let's face it, what kid hasn't, 
They might think he's the angriest uncle in angry uncle town. But we live in Vermont, so we've seen Bernie all over the place, grocery shopping at our local market, walking down Church Street, or driving around town, and is consistently of the people car. He is our Jimmy Carter. Uh, hmm, maybe minus the sweater. Uh, he looks just like a regular guy doing regular guy things. In fact, not once have I ever seen him try to filibuster in the produce section or point at then flip out on somebody at a 4th of July parade. But turns out when you're in Washington, D.C., trying to do your job, there's so much to be angry about. I'm guessing if any of us were blindfolded and dropped into Washington, D.C., and saw how the sausage is made, blood would probably shoot out of our ears like a human anger sprinkler. He hasn't learned to stuff all that outrage down and just pave over it with teeth and haircuts like other politicians have. For some reason, he takes his job seriously, believes that people shouldn't have to buy representation in their government, and highlights issues most other politicians don't really care about, like taking care of veterans or senior citizens, equal pay for women, the importance of family farms and the unknowns of GMOs, or dental care. Dental care? Yes, dental care. To sum up, Bernie is angry, but let's not but he's not angry at you. It's not your fault. This is just how Bernie and the establishment fight with each other. Maybe turn up your music when things get uncomfortable, or we can go buy some headphones together. Uh, Question number three, why does he make sense? This is a tough one, so let's take this one slow. We know that you've heard, we know that you've never heard either of us say, hey, that elected official makes a lot of sense, or they're using words I know and stringing them together in a way that forms sentences that I can understand. So there is definitely going to be an adjustment period for all of us. I think the best way for us to approach this is to think of Bernie as someone who is here to teach us something, like an alien. (laughs) He just says it like it is, in our native language. So maybe he'd be good at this presidential thing. One time, I heard the government is supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people. Wait, that can't be right. Uh, Last question, Mom, why did you smack him? Look, we were <clears throat> we were on the same flight back to Burlington, and we were waiting for the gate check bags. His was the first to come out, like immediately. I guess that what happens when you're a senator who flies coach. Once, the least the airline could do is put your bag on top of the heap. Two, another passenger might smack you on the arm and say, lucky, as if you just won the raffle at the school fundraiser. Three, that passenger might let her mouth drop open and think, oh, my God, did I just hit a U.S. senator? But it's hard to ruffle Bernie. He just took his briefcase, his carry-on, and set off in his Bernie way up to the jet bridge. No assistance, no photographer, no staff, just him. And that's what you should think of him when you think about him. He's a guy doing a job like normal people. So when you see him, it's easy to feel like you know him. But that doesn't mean you should hit him. Don't ever hit him. A uh, uh, blog piece uh, by Kimberly Harrington, who obviously lives in Vermont. That's going to wrap things up for hour number one. We'll uh, continue our discussion on a slightly more serious note with uh, political science professor emeritus Eric Davis. That'll be coming your way in just a couple of moments. Keep your dial right here. This is FM 96.1 WDEV Warren, broadcasting from the top of Sugarbush, FM 96.5 in Barrie and Montpelier, and AM 550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier. News is coming your way next. <laughs> 